0: Hi, I'm Connie Loises.
1: And this is Alex Gove.
0: And this is Strictly VC Download.
1: It's a travel day here at Strictly VC, so please excuse the rather rough audio. Also... We don't have any news stories for you this week. However, the good news is that Strictly VC Download is still free. And we have a stellar guest for you this week, Danny Reimer, co-founder of Index Ventures. Reimer, who is based in both San Francisco and London, has invested in startups such as Discord, First Dibs, Glossier, and Good Eggs, among others. Connie talked to Danny about why the VC industry still seems to be raising monster funds despite a downshifting economy, and much more. We'll get to that conversation in a second. But first, a word from our sponsor. curious to learn how leading VCs, PEs, hedge funds, and sovereign wealth funds are leveraging alternative data in their investment process? Synaptic unifies over 100 real-time performance metrics about companies on a no-code platform. Investors no longer need to build a fully scaled data team in-house. With a rich analytics toolkit, as well as custom data and CRM integrations, you can source, track, and conduct due diligence on companies. Schedule a personalized demo on Synaptic.com to learn more. That's S-Y-N-A-P-T-I-C.com. And now here's Connie's interview with Danny Reimer, co-founder of Index Ventures.
0: Danny, I'm so happy to connect with you. I know that you are in the Bay Area, which you are seldom. We were just talking offline and you were saying this is the second time this year you've been here.
2: Yes, exactly. And I'm very happy to spend this time with you.
0: Great, great. And congratulations, by the way. I talked to your colleagues about your newest office in New York, where I guess you're also going to be spending time from now on.
2: Precisely. Yes. We just opened it this week, actually, on Bastille Day. So it's pretty good timing. And some partners from the West Coast are moving there. And some folks from London are moving there. And then, of course, we're going to be hiring people as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of interest in that. Well, Danny, you're involved in so many companies, of which I'm a customer, actually. I love First Dibs. Great. I love Glossier, Good Eggs, many others. So I want to talk to you maybe a little bit about those companies. Discord is one that I want to touch on, but I thought we could start off with some bigger picture stuff because obviously things are changing so fast. I'm having trouble making sense of what's happening out there. Founders are having trouble, I'm sure, making sense of what's happening out there. One obvious question is how are venture capital firms raising so much money right now? We're all seeing these public market shares way, way down. And typically when this happens, institutional investors are less able to commit to new venture funds because suddenly they are over-allocated to VC as their public holdings shrink, everything else balloons comparatively. Yet, as I'm talking to you, Lightspeed Venture Partners just announced more than $7 billion in fresh capital. Battery Ventures just closed on more than $3.8 billion. Where is this money coming from? Yeah, that's a great
2: question. I think that We should remember that there have been extraordinary gains for a lot of these institutions over the last decade. And so, what you have is their positions have really mushroomed as well during this period. I think that they're obviously looking for relative opportunities and relative growth opportunities. And so, what you're seeing is an allocation to funds that most likely have been around for a while. I mean, certainly the ones that you mentioned have been around for a while, have actually provided very good returns over the years. And so I think that our investors are looking for putting their money into institutions that they know, understand how to allocate this fresh new money Mm -hmm. in any market.
0: Right, right. I'm sure that's true. And obviously, we've talked before on this podcast with other guests about people not wanting to lose that allocation, because sometimes if you do pass, it's hard to get back in with a great fund that's performing. But the funds still are bigger and bigger than they've ever been before. So I just wonder, too, as somebody who is obviously having to be in the market quite a bit, are there new funding sources? We've seen sovereign wealth funds play a bigger role. Does index look farther afield than it used to?
2: It's a great question. I mean, there certainly has been this bifurcation in the market between funds that are probably more in the business of asset aggregation and funds who are trying to continue the artisanal practice of venture. And of course we play in the latter camp and the folks that we hire are interested in venture capital as a craft and the entrepreneurs that we work with are looking for that type of support. So in relative terms, our fund sizes have not become very significant. They have not grown dramatically because we've been very clear that we wanna keep it small keep our craft alive and continue to go down that route. And what that means is that when it comes to our institutional investor base, first of all, we don't have any family offices. We don't take sovereign wealth fund money. So we really are talking about endowments, pension funds, nonprofits and funds of funds that make up our base of investors. And we're fortunate enough to have most of those folks have been with us for north of 15 closer to 20 years now.
0: That's great. But you do have quite a bit of money under management. You raised $3 billion last year, or you announced it a year ago.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: So that's not tiny.
2: (laughs) No, no, no. By no means is it tiny. So what I was saying is that it's not tiny, but in relative terms to the funds that you're alluding to, and of course, the funds that have grown a lot and have done sector funds or crossover funds. Mm -hmm. If you look at how much Index has raised in the entire history of Index versus most of our peers, actually. It's a very different story.
0: How much has it raised over the history of the firm? We should
2: check. I wish I could have the exact number at the tip of my tongue. So can we get back to you on that?
0: Sure. No, it's almost refreshing that you don't know it (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, But really, the funds are commensurate with the number of partners that are investing. And so right now, we have eight partners who are fully investing. And then we have an incremental number of partners who are participating in that investment cycle. And so that's how we really think about figuring out how much we're going to raise. But a big question for us, obviously, has been, should we expand into other domains? Should we get into crossover funds? Should we go into the public domain and invest there? Should we double down on specific sectors that are really hot? And our thinking has been, actually, let's just stick to our knitting. Let's be disciplined and let's continue to provide as much support and help And value to our founders in the way that we've always done it, because certainly times have not gotten less complicated, but more complicated.
0: Right, right, right. And Danny, also, if you don't mind me asking, are you in the market again? It does feel like with firms, it's been one year on, one year off in terms of fundraising. I thought maybe things would slow down, but they really don't seem to be slowing down. And it seems very much like we're seeing the same pace that we've seen in recent years. I'm wondering if there is going to be a slowdown or if this is a permanent state of affairs now. So to answer
2: your question, we're not in the market to fundraise. We're obviously in the market to invest. And some of our best investments have happened in these types of markets. Our approach is really to try and invest very similar amounts, irrespective of market gyrations. It's really beneficial to us to try and be a constant in terms of the actual amount of money that we deploy. Of course, in bull markets, it's more difficult to be extremely restrained because we still want to invest in the best companies. And obviously, there's more competition on valuation to get in. Right. But really, we try and be a constant in every cycle.
0: Sure, sure. So our last podcast guest was just Lee of Sequoia Capital. And we were talking about valuations and she called last year an anomaly, abnormal from a funding and valuation standpoint, which I think we can all agree is probably true. And she suggested that the firm thinks that 2018 and 2019 valuations and pacing was far more rational. And I feel like we're starting to see Sokoya companies pull back on their valuations. Klarna, of course, was valued at something like $47 billion. Now it's $7 billion. Stripe, you might've just seen went from a $95 billion valuation to a $74 billion valuation. I don't know if Sequoia is advocating these moves, but they're obviously signing off on them. I'm wondering, are you having discussions with your startups about lowering their valuations and cases where the numbers may have gotten ahead of reality?
2: I mean, we're having all types of discussions with companies within our portfolio. So nothing is off the table, and we absolutely do not want to suspend disbelief when it comes to... The realities of the situation. So, I wouldn't say that it's an umbrella discussion that we're having with all our companies, Mm -hmm. but we consistently try and make sure that our companies understand the current climate, the conditions that are specific to them, and make sure that they're as realistic as possible when it comes to their future. Obviously, Sequoia has been doing this brilliantly for 40 years. So in relative terms, we're a newcomer thinking through these topics. But mm. fact is that depending on the company, sometimes the valuations have gotten well ahead of themselves and we can't count on the crossover funds coming back in in these markets. As you said, they have to defend their public positions. So some of these companies have to just weather the storm and make sure that they are prepared for difficult times ahead and make sure that their internal thinking about what the company is worth, which incidentally, let's remember is all on paper in any case, is accurate. Other companies really have an opportunity to lean in during this period and capture significant market share because they're still really selling well, selling to the enterprise, selling to the consumer well. So it's a basket of different types of advice that we're giving our companies.
0: Sure. And for the ones that are, I guess, in the later stages and maybe have fewer options right now, I keep hearing about structure coming up in deals. I talked to Jess about this as well. Would you rather a portfolio company take maybe less than ideal terms and maintain evaluation, or would you prefer a down round?
2: That's an easy answer. It's much better to have a down round that reflects the reality of the situation than have structure. You know, when we started our growth fund mm-hmm. back in 2006, the first time we did a growth fund, we actually were so focused on preserving capital mm-hmm. that the first few companies that we invested in had structure associated with them. So we were going to limit the downside. But of course, when you limit the downside, You cap the upside. And we realized that those companies that would take structure were actually not the types of companies or entrepreneurs that we really enjoyed working with. And so we changed our approach and started to just invest in companies that we thought were big opportunities from here on in. Mm. And that dramatically changed the profile of the companies that we backed and also the performance of the fund. So That's an easy one to actually manufacture or sustain an artificial valuation. But add terms doesn't seem to serve anyone any purpose other than perhaps the folks who want to invest with structure. But then I'd ask them to question how good the company is if they're taking structure over just being sober about the current climate.
0: Yeah. I do wonder if startups are getting the memo or if you're talking with them, because I feel that we're still getting pitched to TechCrunch a lot of stories about this is an up round or we're at the same valuation. And I keep talking to my colleagues about trying to scratch the surface a little bit further so we can help startups really understand what's happening out there. There, there should be no shame, I think, in taking it down on, especially after what we saw over the last year or two. I just wonder if founders agree yet or if they're s- slow to embrace that concept.
2: Yeah, I mean, it really depends. I think you probably have some new funds that started during this period. You have some new sector funds, which makes it complicated because you're not investing in the best business. You're trying to make the best business within that sector right. successful. So there are probably some pressures with respect to some of the VCs that is felt by some of the entrepreneurs. But I do want to highlight that This is not across the board that all companies need to take a cold shower with respect to valuation. There are a lot of companies that are doing very well, even in this environment. And so to come with a broad brushstroke and say all valuations should be taken down and all companies should really rationalize their workforce dramatically is not the right answer from our perspective. It's really on an individual basis, but to be very clear and very honest about what we're facing.
0: Danny, that's a great point. What companies are doing the best right now? Because it seems that everyone's feeling poorer, both consumers and enterprises right now. So I'm wondering, what are the hardiest businesses out there? Well,
2: I can't talk for all of them, but in the portfolio that I am personally responsible for, certainly companies like Figma, like Notion, like Discord, like the gaming companies that we cover, those companies are doing particularly well. Other consumer-oriented companies that you were alluding to, and I'm glad to hear that you're a customer of in the beginning of the show, I think many of them realized before even these inflationary times, leading to recessionary times, they realized that from a supply chain standpoint, this was going to be a very complicated year. So before even the Ukraine happened, Mm -hmm. and before a lot of the hike in interest rates happened, a lot of the companies that are on the consumer side that have to rely on supply coming from China had already looked at the COVID era as being an anomaly and had adjusted ahead of what's happened today.
0: Okay. So they were better prepared than some. That's great. Uh, Also, Danny, I wanted to ask you just quickly about Fast, the online login and checkout company that blew up earlier this year. And Index was razzed online for quickly removing it from its website. I'm wondering what happened there. And in retrospect, what more, if anything, could index have done in that situation? I'm guessing your team had a post-mortem on this one. Of course, everyone's got these things happening in their portfolio.
2: Yes. I wasn't aware that we took it down from our website. It's probably there, but probably harder to find is (laughs) what I suspect. We do promote the companies that are doing great. I think as we look at the post-mortem, probably what we could have done best there, and you're right, we did digest it as a firm and really tried to take the lessons learned from there. I think there are a number of factors that we're still digesting, but probably what was difficult during COVID was really evaluating talent and understanding the folks that we were working with. And I'm sure that my partners who were responsible for the company would have been able to spend more time and really understand the entrepreneurial culture of the company in a lot more detail had we been able to spend more time with them in person.
0: Danny, I also wanted to ask you about Discord because I'm actually working on a story right now about startups spying an opportunity to capture market share in a Web3 world, which I think is really interesting. Discord is obviously where so much of the Web3 conversations are happening right now. I'm wondering if you are seeing some of these startups that are pitching themselves as new messaging platforms and if you think Discord should be worried about this.
2: So, there are two things. The first is I don't think they're going to really pitch us very aggressively in light of the fact that we are in Discord. And Mm -hmm. the other one is we really have not invested in many Web3 companies at all. In fact, we're probably known for having been very skeptical. Very tentative about investing. While we think the technology is good, we just did not get comfortable back to what I was saying about the entrepreneurs. We didn't get comfortable with the entrepreneurs who are pitching to us. So we have a very tiny portfolio of Web3 companies. I feel like the number of times that someone has pitched me or I've heard about a business that's related to crypto and Web3, and at the end of it, someone says, I don't quite understand it. (laughs) That's pretty much the constant. And so we invest in companies where the entrepreneurs would be building that company, irrespective of the market environment or getting money from us. They were placed on this earth to build this business. And what we found was with that sector in particular, that it was really more of an entrepreneur that was looking for an arbitrage opportunity that saw a hole in the market that felt like they could get rich quick and therefore were starting those businesses, which is pretty surprising because we have such different personalities and mm-hmm. approaches to evaluating entrepreneurs and businesses and markets at the firm. None of us are similar or have similar backgrounds. We could not get anyone excited about it. And so, Yeah, we're just not the right people to talk about when it comes to this.
0: Right, right. And so there's no risk of of index restructuring as an RIA either, it sounds like.
2: No, I really don't think so. No. I
0: did wonder, you talked about it a little bit earlier in the conversation, companies doing more strategies, more crossover, more public market investing. Another thing that, again, is top of mind, just because I just had this conversation with Sequoia, was their public market strategy holding on to shares on behalf of their LPs for a much longer period of time. Jess said they did the numbers and the firm could have returned much more money had they held on to some shares rather than distributed them. I think that's really interesting. I didn't ask, and I should have, if they're charging more fees to continue managing that money, but I wonder what Index's philosophy is with regard to distributing shares when there is an exit. If you just immediately distribute things, if it's a case-by-case basis, we're seeing in some cases, obviously, that firms should have distributed shares or sold them faster than they did given the, the downturn.
2: It really is on a case-by-case basis. We have a very clear approach on how to evaluate companies as they go public or as they are public and how to make sure that we extract the emotion and the enthusiasm of the individual investor from the whole process. But it's truly on a case-by-case basis.
0: Is there any more light that you can shed on that process? Because it does seem so complicated from the outside.
2: Not really. And the reason that I'm being opaque about it is Mm -hmm. really because we're starting to talk about companies that are public. And so it's not really beneficial to you or to ourselves to go into more analysis on how we approach it. But I can sincerely say that it is on a case-by-case basis.
0: Okay, fair enough. And then, Danny, I know I need to let you go in a minute. In terms of New areas of interest. Are there any themes that you're exploring that you might not have been two years ago?
2: On a personal basis, my team and I spend a lot of time on sustainability. And what we mean by sustainability are businesses that are thinking about sweating assets. So we have one company called Otrium that essentially is working on making sure that every item of clothing is worn So dealing with brands that have excess inventory and making sure that they don't end up in landfill or in aircraft hangars because they want to preserve the brand or even burning excess inventory. Mm. So that's one that we're excited about. Another one is looking at packaging, looking at the supply chain for boxes that you get to the home. The company called Sourceful is thinking through an alternative supply chain and making sure that the carbon footprint that actually is part of the packaging for everything that is being shipped to the home has been thought through on a sustainable basis. And so we have a number of companies in that area, and we're really excited about that trend.
0: That's great. I'd love to see more and more of that, obviously. And then Danny, maybe the, perhaps the most important question of all, Musk versus Twitter. Where do you stand on this whole thing?
2: <laughs> oh. Which part of it? All I can say is I feel for the company. I think it's so hard to be a public company, to have all these incredible employees who have been doing the best that they can to provide a platform for everyone to use and to have all of this laundry out in the open while having to bear your head down and continue your day job. That must be really, really difficult.
0: Absolutely. I think as I've evolved, aged as a reporter, I have much more sympathy for what happens inside a company. We write about companies yes. so cavalierly, but there are hundreds and thousands of people whose lives are at stake here, and who are so invested in what they do. And it must be just gut wrenching for them, I'm sure. Exactly. Anyway, Danny. Well, thank you so much again. Really nice to catch up quickly. I'm sure people are going to love hearing from you. I certainly did, and I hope that it's not too long before I do actually get to see you in person.
2: Thanks very much. Thanks for your interest. And yeah, hope it's in person next time.
0: All right. Take care, Danny. Thank you.
2: Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. We're taking a little bit of a break, but we'll see you back here on Friday, August 12th. Have a great weekend.